Good morning. As you guys remember, we're uh, going over a series on the book of Ruth. So today, as we're going into chapter two, just before we think about all that, first I just want to share a story that uh, a coworker shared with me. So I work at Parkland Hospital. I wish you could he hear her tell it because it was more entertaining when she told it. Unfortunately, you're getting driving on the highway and she knows her back roads real well. And she's leaving her daughter's house to go home. It's about a 20 minute drive. And she has her little dog that she has. And she, she speaks to her dog like, like, a, like it's a human being. Many of you probably know that, how that goes. Uh, so she, she calls her dog Little Mama. And so they're driving, they're driving, and they get maybe a couple minutes into their drive. And she's looking around, they get to an intersection. And she says, no, Little Mama, I think we're lost. Because there used to be, there's supposed to be a CVS at this corner. And there's a Walgreens. There's no way they built the Walgreens overnight. I think we're lost, little mama. But let's keep going. So she keeps driving. And this kind of scenario repeats itself over and over. And she asks about four different people uh, directions. And they all kind of get her kind of in a similar area. But each time she's just more lost. Driving through what she, she knows. She's driven this, this route numerous times. She knows her way around. She knows her back road. She's lived in Dallas all her life. But for whatever reason, this day, her 20-minute drive is turning into a three-hour drive. She's frustrated. She's angry. She's mad. She finally, the last person she asks kind of tells her that she's close to Parkland and the, the hospital. And says, so, oh, I work at the hospital. Just tell me, how do I get there? And I can find my way home. And she does. She gets home, turns on the TV, looks at the news, and sees that her adventure caused her to miss out on a, the tornado that came through. And when she relates the story to me, she says it with confidence that she knows that was God's hand. That was God's hand. And it's, it's not the worst trial to undergo, but it is frustrating. It is like if you ever lost and your 20-minute drive is a three-hour drive and you get home much later than you wanted. Um, but she knows that was God's hand. She, she, she feels confident that God was guiding her and protecting her, even though it wasn't really what she wanted to do that, that day. And so, a lot of times we look at life like it's a coincidence. But I like to, to think it's not always a coincidence. Or it's an unlikely coincidence when these things happen. And with that, kind of thinking about, that's what we want to talk about today. An unlikely coincidence in the book of Ruth. And before that, just taking a little reminder, looking back at last week. Last week we talked about an unlikely hero. We talked about how only God can bring together the events and the people necessary to make his power manifest. How God uses people we wouldn't expect. How God uses basically us, the, you know, this common everyday people. And he turns those people into his heroes. And we also talked about that God is at work in our lives. The same way he was at work in Ruth's life to make his, his plan power manifest. So another thing we talked about last week is the important, importance of names, which relates to that same idea of only God can get these people with these names together for this story, for his plan and his purpose. And so some of the names, the first guy, Elimelech, who we think would be the hero of the story, whose name means my God is king, doesn't live up to his name. He leaves a promised land. He takes his family to Moab. And, and it's just kind of surprising that this is not our hero. Um, Malon and Kilion, his sons, 
their names are weakness and annihilation. They live up to their names and, and they die an early life and leave widows behind. Naomi, her name, the mother, her name means pleasant. But she goes through such a despair, such a depression when, when her husband and two sons die that she rejects that name. She doesn't want to be called that name anymore. She wants to be called Mara, which means bitter. Then we have Orpah, the, the daughter-in-law that remained in, in Moab. We don't really hear about her afterwards, but her name means back of neck, meaning this is the last we saw of her was her turning around, leaving her mother-in-law and returning to the safety and security that she already knew in Moab. Then there's Ruth, and Ruth is our unlikely hero, and her name means friend, and, and she lives up to that. She's a friend that sticks by. The word says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's kind of Ruth, a friend who sticks closer than, than a blood relative, because she stuck to Naomi and said, no matter what, where you, where you go, I go, your God is my God. So with that kind of background, we look at this new story, chapter two, talking about an unlikely coincidence. And the theme is similar, kind of over overlapping, but what I want to focus on is the fact that God brings together people and circumstances in order to accomplish his plan. Very similar to, to last week's slight twist. And also the same, that God is at work in our lives, but with the extra thought that life is not a coincidence. Whatever is happening, be it good or bad, in our life is not a coincidence. And somehow God will use that for his good, for his glory, for his plan and his purpose. So with that, let's turn to um, Ruth chapter 2. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. What I want to highlight here first Boaz, the first person mentioned in here, becomes our, our, our second hero, our second main character. And this, his name means, in him there is strength. That, that's the meaning of Boaz's name from the Hebrew. The, he's already described as a noble character. We won't spend a whole lot talking about him now. We'll, we'll see more as, as the story progresses. But what's really important is that what, what Ruth asked her mother says, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? So in, the, in this culture, there's a, certain laws in the Hebrew, in, in books of Leviticus and in, in the Old Testament, that if you own property, if you own, uh, say, farmland, you only harvest once. Like if I pass through my, my field, I only go through once. If I miss some pieces, no big deal. I'm, I'm not allowed to go back. To go back and get them again is kind of greedy. And the purpose is you're supposed to leave those there for the poor, for the homeless. You're also supposed to, you're supposed to not harvest the corners of your field because it's supposed to be for the homeless or the poor. And for Ruth to ask her mom this question, it's kind of like imagine your child or some a relative saying to you, can I go to the neighbors and dig through their trash can 
to find food so he can eat. That's kind of what she's saying. That's this very, it's a point of humility and total dependence on God. And it's a, a tough point to, to really imagine. That's what's going on. She's asking her mom permission to go pick up scraps in the field behind the harvesters because that's how it's acceptable in the culture and understood that that's the poor, the homeless that are, that are doing this. And her, her mom gives her permission. And so I pick up in verse 3. It says, So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, Lord, be with you. Lord, bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? Now, it's not an uncommon question. I kind of think of Bethlehem kind of like maybe Mayberry. If you guys remember the old shows, like everybody knows everybody. It's a small town. So when you see somebody new, like, well, who, who's this? But the, the, the main thing I want to focus on here is this phrase, she happened to be. It's the, the Hebrew word itself means kind of by chance. Like it just so happened. I think some translations say it just so happens that she ended up in Boaz's field as if it were a coincidence. And this is what I mean by the unlikely coincidence. This was not a coincidence. This was God at work in their life that brought her all the way from Moab to Bethlehem to this one person's field. She could have been in anybody's field. And again, this is the time of judges when people did whatever they thought was right. So there aren't that many people in Jerusalem really following God's laws. So she just happened to go to the one plot of field that belonged to a family member of theirs who was also a, no <clears throat> excuse me, who was also a noble person who followed God's laws. And he took interest. Uh, I guess this, we see the second part I highlighted is this, uh, the Lord be with you. So I love that greeting. I kind of miss... I know sometimes in church, I know when I was in the army, the chapel I went to, that was the first thing they said, you know, stand up, give each other the sign of peace. And they were said, peace be with you, peace be with you. Some of you guys maybe have been to similar experiences. I miss that greeting. We don't see that anywhere, almost anywhere, uh, just as far as day to day. It's still there in the Spanish language, the adios term, but it's lost its meaning. Adios just means goodbye. But what it really means is go with God. So... Um, the, the fact that he says this highlights his character and what he represents and what he sees as important. Lord be with you. And, and they, they bless him back, showing that he has a good relationship with his workers. So it just, just highlights his character. So pick up in uh, verse 6. So the servant answered, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and remained from morning until now. She rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. 
before I talk about what, what Boaz says, I think it's important to realize the very first part of 6, when he talks about Ruth, says, the young Moabite woman. Almost every time in the book of Ruth, when it talks about Ruth, it says the young Moabite, the Moabitess. So it, it's just re-emphasizing the fact that she is not from Israel. She is not an Israelite. She is not like us. She is a foreigner. Every time you almost, if you read back and look at it, almost every time it says Ruth, it's not just Ruth. It's Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the young lady who came here from Moab. It's very persistent in bringing this point to bear. The next part in this little section is how, how Boaz treats her. So listen, my daughter recognizes that she, she's family, but also treats her res with respect and gives her additional privilege. Like I said, most of the people who are there picking up the scraps, they're only allowed to pick up the scraps. If you were to reach into like, say the, the basket, let's say, that the harvesters put their bundles into, that would be stealing. That there's that line. There's, you can pick up the scraps, it's fine, but you can't go into like someone's bundle that they've collected and take it. And you also can't, Let's say you got all th these people going for scraps. There's, there's danger involved. What if someone takes someone else's collected scraps? So, so he's being kind to her, giving her additional privilege that other harvesters or other, I guess, g gleaners don't have. So picking up in uh, verse 9, it says, See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the men have filled. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Again, that emphasis. She, she feels it. She knows it. If you've ever been somewhere where you felt out of place, you know that feeling to feel like, I, I know I don't really belong here. I'm a foreigner. I don't deserve the kindness you're giving me. So, also, again, we see that, like I said, the extra privilege. She says, go drink from the water that my men have collected. So, imagine this time, over 2,000 years ago, you can't, you, people don't just carry water bottles with them. You know, there's no camelback, there's no hydration system, there's none of that stuff. You gotta go to the nearest well pull up your water, have a container for it, and then take it back to where you were. So that's a lot of labor for someone who's poor, who has no possessions, to go all the way to the well, all the way back to the field. But here's this owner, landowner, saying, have some of our water. So again, he's, Boaz is, is watching out and taking care of Ruth. Then in, picking up in verse 11, it says, Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me, for you have comforted me and encouraged me, your slave, although I am not like 
one of your female servants. Again, that, that recognition, I'm a foreigner. I'm not like one of your servants. But also, the, the, the main passage here is the blessing that Boaz gives. And says, I, I know that you left your God. You left the safety and security of Moab. You left all this behind. You left your family. You left everything to follow this, your mother-in-law to Bethlehem. And said, so may you be rewarded under the wings of God who you've come for, for refuge. So she responds in, in 14. So, so, sorry, not her response, but later. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks for her and leave them for her to gather. Do not rebuke her. So again, now, now Boaz is given fur going further and further above and beyond. Now he's saying, you know, give her, give her the bundle. Or just like, oops, we dropped one. You know, I guess who's going to get that? And it's for, it's for Ruth. I said, don't tell her, don't tell her to go away. Don't rebuke her. Don't humiliate her. Don't point out this. So he's being even more generous to, to, to this widow from Moab, this foreigner. Let me see. Picking up in 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left from her meal and gave it to her. Then her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth, her mother-in-law, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. So naturally, it's hard to picture how much she had, but the 26 quarts of barley is supposedly about 30 pounds. Like if you think of like a bag of flour, I mean, 30, 20 to 30 pounds of this. Um, I think some people take this passage the wrong way. A lot of people think, oh, Ruth was a stout, hefty girl. But uh, this is just being able to carry this 30-pound bag. But, uh, but that's not the point. I mean, the point is the, the over, the increased generosity. If you're, if you're digging for scraps, you, you, most people barely have just enough for them to eat for that day. At the end of the day, of a, a poor person in Jerusalem at this time, spending the entire day getting scraps that were left behind, there's barely enough to make one or two cakes for you and whoever you live with. But this was enough to get by for today, for almost a season, to probably even take some to market and make some, some profit off of, to, to sustain your family with other things than just grain. So it's not just enough to get by for the day, it's enough to get by and do other things and be kind of a commodity that they could trade. And then again, 
that unlikely coincidence. Oh, mom, or it just so happened this guy named Boaz is, is who I worked. Now, we're introduced to Boaz in verse 1, but Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. Ruth has no idea that this is what, what relationship she has between her, her family, her husband, her father-in-law being Elimelech and Boaz. But, but Naomi does. And in verse 20, Naomi says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, who has not forgotten his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess. Again, Ruth from where? Moab. Moab. Yeah, Ruth the Moabitess. Don't forget, in case you forgot, by now, where she's from. Ruth the Moabitess said, he, is also, he also told me, stay with my young men until all of the harvest is finished. So, a few things here. That word kindness. This, this shows a change in the demeanor of Naomi, the mother-in-law. She was in this pit of despair. God was against her. Everything went wrong. But now she's saying, I can't read that far anymore. Let me open my book. <laughs> Uh, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forgotten his kindness to the living or the dead. That word kindness is the word hesed. That, that special word we see in the Old Testament that's, that's God's love. That is the, we see it translated as loving kindness in a lot of, in a lot of books. It's that kind of word that we, we can't really fully explain in, in the English by just saying love. Kind of like the word in the, in the, the Greek equivalent is, is agape. We always hear that word agape love, this love of God, the kindness of God. The hesed that she talks about here is kind of showing this transition where, where Naomi's kind of seeing, all right, God, God is good. She, she was in this pit of despair, which many of us can get to where, where we, we think maybe, maybe God's not looking out for me. Maybe God's forgotten about me. But here she is saying, may he be blessed. May he be blessed by the Lord who has not forgotten his kindness to the living or the dead. I think that's just important to highlight that we're seeing this transition in Naomi, the mother-in-law. And then she goes on to kind of reveal who Boaz is. So not only is he a relative, he's a close relative, which means he is a family redeemer, which is this, uh, the Hebrew is a goel. And... It's a hard concept to explain. It maybe sounds very weird for us today because the idea of the Goel is someone who can re basically redeem his family. And this is what I mean by redeem. In that time, in that culture, if you were in debt, you didn't have a whole lot of choices. You can either sell some of your land to someone else, and once that's done, someone else in your family has the right to rebuy that land. Without, without someone trying to make a lot of profit off of it or something like that because it's their culture that that land is supposed to stay in your family because they're, they're given to the tribes of Israel. So there's an important thing about the land remaining with that tribe. And if you sell it outside of the tribe or outside of the family, a family member has the right to redeem it. In the same way, some families will sell themselves into slavery. If they don't have enough money, 
they'll sell themselves or maybe sell a, a relative, a daughter, child, a son into slavery. And it's not the same kind of slavery we think of, but it's just, just basically working for, for no pay so that you can pay off your debt. And so a family member can go to whoever bought that person, relative, and buy them back. And not to say, now you work for me, but to say, now you're free, you're family. I just paid off your debt, and now you can go back to, to how things are. And here's where it gets a little weird. If you have a, a family and the husband dies, it's the Goel, the, the family redeemers, both right and responsibility or duty to, to be able to provide the wife with an heir. Which sounds, but that's the wacky one, where it's like saying, if my brother dies, it's my job to marry his wife. As it, it, that doesn't translate well to our culture today. And I can't figure out a better way to explain that, but that's what's going on. Um, and, and the reason is so that the line continues. There's this family line, like say if I had never had any other children and my, my name, my, my line is wiped off the earth. And when it comes to God's plan, he has a certain line that he's trying to promote. He has a plan he's bringing through. And that plan, as we'll see in chapter 4, what, what line we're talking about. But there's a line that needs to continue. And if Naomi and Ruth do not have an heir, that line dies with them. So that's why it's important for the Goel to provide this heir for the family so that that line continues. So, again, it seems wacky today for us, but that's what's going on in this time when it comes to the tribes of Israel and each of the tribes and the lines of those tribes continuing on. So then verse 22 says, So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants, so that nothing will happen to you in another's field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the end of the barley harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So she... I think that last part is just to kind of reflect. It's, I don't know how long the harvest period is, but it, it's, it's a while. And so imagine she got 30 pounds on that first day and she continued to be there. That's the overall, the time period that's elapsed is again, again, probably enough for them to get by for a year or longer in terms of storing and selling and, and being able to, to live off of this, this provision. So going back to this importance of names. I'm not going to review all of them. I just want to focus again on Boaz. In him, there is strength. We'll see more of his strength in the next two chapters. It's just important to keep these names in mind, what they mean, and how they impact, impact the story. And again, talking about this unlikely coincidence. The, the book says, it just so happened she was in this field. It just so happens that Boaz is a family redeemer. It just so happens that they got to Bethlehem during the barley harvest. You know, all this, these are not coincidences. So only God can bring together people and circumstances to accomplish his divine plan. And his plan, like I said, is, is continuing this line. And we'll see where that line goes 
in, again, chapter four. Again, we've got to wait two weeks. Sorry. Uh, or you can read ahead. <laughs> More than welcome to, to spend the next two weeks reading your Bible. Uh, so he, he's doing something to accomplish his divine plan. And again, God is at work in our lives. This is not a coincidence. So somehow, some way, God is trying to accomplish his plan in each of us. Another thing to focus on, especially as we go into the next couple of chapters, is this idea, again, Ruth is a foreigner. But all, all of us here are foreigners. None of us are born into, the, into God's plan in, in the sense of being a Hebrew or a Jew. We're just not. We're foreigners. We're all Gentiles. But the same way God reached out to Ruth, he can reach out to us. The same way he's included Ruth into his plan, he includes us into his plan. So as you think about what we're learning here, what I want to challenge you guys to do is able to reflect. So if some of us probably had some storms we went through in 2015. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But the idea is now that we're in a new year, if you're through that storm, spend some time reflecting on 2015 and how God brought you through those times. Because hindsight is 2020. Like I said, the lady at the beginning of the story, she didn't know until she got home that she was spared from the tornado. Hindsight is 2020. When we're going through, through the storm, it's hard to see it. It's hard to be happy. The same way she was not happy driving three hours on a 20-minute drive. But once it's over, we can look back and we, we can reflect. We can see how God was at, at work and we can give thanks. So that's the challenge is, is simply to look back at the storms you, God has brought you through in 2015 and think about giving thanks for that. Now, if you're in the storm... If you're going through something right now, my challenge is to basically do what Ruth has done. Hold fast to God and to God's people. And to do that in a position of humility and patience. So, so Ruth clung to Naomi. It says that in chapter 1. She clung to Naomi. And said, your God will be my God. And, and despite how hard things have been for them both, she went to work in this field. She was humble. And she trusted in God. But she's going through that storm. So, so those are my applications. If you're through the storm, reflect on 2015 and give thanks. If you're going through one now, hold fast to God and God's people. Those people are here sitting right next to you at church who are able to, to help And this time. Just join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story and how it touches our lives today. More than 2,000 years later, we see this line being progressed. We see this story being replayed. And we know that you are at work in our lives that our life is not a coincidence, that our lives are not meaningless, Lord, but they have meaning, and that you give them meaning and you give us purpose and you include us in your plan. You've grafted us into your, your plan and your family. And we thank you for that.
for the storms you brought us through and the storms that lie ahead, knowing that all of them are part of your divine plan for your divine purpose. Father, to you be the glory in all things. Amen.